0: listening to Riverview Church Conversations, a podcast for the spiritually curious. Welcome to the Riverview Church podcast everyone. Thanks for joining us. My name is Reese Michelle and I'm here with my buddy Ryan Gagle.
1: That's me. How you going Reese? Surviving?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm okay. I'm I'm feeling Quite nervous about today's chat in a good way, ah, not a bad good. way. But I'm I'm anticipating it.
1: Very good. Now I thought Reese would, as always, just ask you a nice uh, little icebreaker question. If you uh, find yourself at the local deli, if we have any of those around anymore, and you walk up to the chupa chup stand, what flavour are you going to pick? Oh, it depends.
0: It really depends. I would probably go for the strawberries and cream. Wow. Or the cola
1: flavour. Yeah, colas. But my you know, guy. like.
0: I have problems with Chubba Chups because I always end up with a bleeding tongue. <laughs> you know how they, you get the little hole and it gets yeah, sharp and yeah. you know. Yeah. So I probably don't go for the Chubba Chups anymore. I normally okay. go for like the, uh, the little fizzy little Coke bottle guy. Yeah, you know, the, the little, sour one. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I yeah, do yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah, that's my vibe. I do love that.
1: Now if you're joining with us on the podcast, uh, we're not here to talk about candies. Oh, well, We could. Um, we could. But we're not going to today. Uh, if you are joining with us for the first time, maybe you missed the the first and the second episode. Um, this podcast essentially is dedicated to us just having real and raw conversations about faith and life. And uh, one thing we love here at Riverview Church is being able to hold both a deep spirituality with a robust theology. And so we're people who are spiritually curious and, and want to... Um, reconcile both heart and mind as we follow Jesus. And so we're committed to having some robust conversations uh, wherever they take us, ask some big questions. Now, we're not going to provide any um, maps for life, but we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk <laughs> about the, the route in which we're on anyway. Circuitous route. And uh, we're excited by the conversation we're about to embark on and a little bit nervous because we've got a heavy hitter coming in. And uh, we are going to be talking around the topic of lament. Lament. It's not something we say a huge amount. It's not a topic we talk a huge amount about either. No. Um, And we're really interested just to to unpack what lament is. It's not just I'm lamenting the lack of... Chopper chops right now. No. It's more than that, isn't it? No, well, it, it seemingly from my reading, and, and we're gonna find out a little bit more later, uh, but from my reading it's it's a, a practice in order mm, okay. um, that we do. Okay. And you know, you look at the the psalms, and about one third of the psalms are are laments. They are people bearing truth and their honest words before God. And I think we were just quite interested because we find ourselves in a unique space of life at the moment. Um, and there are a lot of feelings and a lot of realities that maybe are different to those in which we assume they would look like. you know um, maybe people have lost their job, people um, had holidays planned, people you know mm. s- small things and large things. And um, if we're really honest, some of those things are frustrating. and um, so I'm really excited by this conversation for us to just dive. Deep into lament and um, see what comes out the other side.
0: Yes, our our heavy hitter of the day. Mm. I'm feeling slightly like a bit of a um, weakling
1: on the academic <laughs> yeah. front compared to our 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 guest today. Yeah, and our guest today is uh, none other than Professor Rick Watts. Now, um, for many of you, you might not be familiar with that name. Um, fortunately for me, when I was studying at Regent College in Vancouver, I was able to sit in um, Rick a couple of Rick's classes and. Uh, Before I kind of give you his credentials, I think I'd just love to share that um, Rick is a guy that personally I've been extremely inspired by because uh, Rick demonstrates that kind of um, holding of heart and mind. That we're, we've been talking about this ability to hold intention, both a deep spirituality and a passion, with a robust theology, and being able to sit in some of his classes, I was greatly encouraged by the passion he sho- uh, showed, but also just the the amazing understanding of of. God's Word. And we're really excited to be joined uh, by him today. Now, Rick is the Dean of Theology at Alpha Crucis College. Um, As I mentioned, he previously worked at Regent College in Vancouver for over 20 years. Not Regent
0: College in Perth.
1: No, not Vic Park's Regent College, (laughs) but he could work there if he wanted. I'm sure he could. Mm. Now, he's a highly regarded biblical scholar. Um, He has particular emphasis on the Gospel of Mark, on Isaiah. And uh, my favorite is his emphasis and his focus on the New Testament's use of Old Testament scriptures. So how our New Testament authors um, like our gospel writers or Paul um, understood the Old Testament and used that in their writing. Um, So Rick comes with a great deal of experience, a great deal of passion um, and a great deal of wisdom. So enjoy this. Well, Rick, thank you so much for joining with us on the podcast. We really appreciate you um, sacrificing some of your time to talk to us. Uh, It's not
2: really a sacrifice. It's a great pleasure. Oh, wonderful.
1: Now, Rick, I wonder, uh, we've kind of given you, uh, given a bit of a snapshot as to some of your credentials, but would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself? What makes Rick, Rick?
2: Right. Well, um, I've had 21 years in Vancouver and I acquired there a taste for sailing. Hmm. So I just deeply love sailing when I can do it. And uh, that's coastal sailing, 31 footers, you know, the monohulls, love that Hmm. very much. Uh, Where we live now in Sydney, it's a wonderful little third generation Italian immigrant community. Hmm. So great restaurants, great coffee, Hmm. just all the stuff. I mean, I love Italian stuff, but there's some wonderful uh, Thai restaurants nearby, I think a Korean one. So we're really happy. It's just oh, it's gorgeous. And I love walking on beaches. And, you know, you, if you've traveled the world, you know Australia has some of the best beaches by far. So those would be things that I really enjoy, long walks with Katie on the beach and
0: sailing when I can get into it. Sounds very romantic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, Rick, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit as well about how you came to know the love of Christ, uh, a little bit about your story.
2: Well, it was, in fact, about 60 years ago. 68 this year, so there's a secret out there. <laughs> uh, I was, I recall it very clearly. Actually, I'd been drawing aeroplanes. I lady became an aeronautical engineer, so that love never really went away. Mm. And it was an evening service at uh, one of these early Pentecostal churches. We had some visiting speaker from somewhere. I'm drawing planes. Uh, the altar call comes up, and for some reason, I just suddenly I'm aware of what's going on. And, uh, you know, my dad was standing and, and I was eight years old I kind of pulled the trouser leg and said, Dan, I need to go forward. And he said, "Wow, you've been drawing all night. You haven't been listening. No, no, I need to go. I need to go. And he said, okay. So um, I remember the hymn. It was follow, follow, I will follow Jesus anywhere, everywhere I will follow him. Uh, still gets an emotional response if I see that as well as So, yeah, eight years old was the wow. moment, one of those kind of classic, I guess, conversion moments.
1: It's beautiful. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit how you ended up in uh, the world of academia being a, a renowned biblical scholar. What what got you there?
2: Well, I think um, it's partly to do with giftedness. So if you've ever met me, you'll know I would never have made a rugby player. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I tried Australian rules for a bit in Perth, actually, at a local school and enjoyed that. And uh, I played full forward and then had my shoulder broken. I fell on some very hard surface. And so that was the end of my great sporting career in Buddha commerce. Mm. But I think I discovered over the the time that I, if I didn't have a muscly body, can I say, I might have had a muscly brain, (laughs) Uh, which, you know, given... Being a young kid and full of mustard didn't always serve me well, or at least I didn't use it well, you know, like when you're young. But I think it was that that folks noticed and they just had a real interest in trying to understand things and then that led, first of all, to engineering, just because in our Pentecostal tradition we were very nervous about theological study and with good reason back in those days. Most people lost their faith. Uh, But that... Eventually morphed into. I wanted to actually learn to handle the script as well, so that was Gordon Cobble in Boston. I met Gordon Fee there, and then out of that, my further training in England, and mm. uh, so that got me to this, and eventually to Regent, and uh, now back to Australia. So.
0: And to our podcast today, where yeah. our topic of the day is lament. Now, I'm not really sure if I if I actually understand what lament really is. I think my understanding of lament at the moment extends as far as I lament the lack of uh, chocolate biscuits in my pantry. <laughs> would, you, would you think you'd be able to like, tell me, tell us a little bit more about what lament actually is?
2: Great. be Very happy to. But disclaimer, I'm not a Psalms expert. Mm. And um, I know a little, but you know, if you really wanted the good oil, you've got a colleague of mine, Ian Proven at Regent, who's a wonderful doer, Scott, so he's mm-hmm. ideal to talk about lament, right? That's part of Ian's makeup, I think. Yeah, right. um, but a couple of things you yeah, had to keep in mind about laments. So um, about half of the Psalms are what we call blues tunes, or what I would call blues tunes. That's what laments are. So about half of them. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, the shape of these laments can vary. They can be short, they can be long. They're Hebrew poetry, which is not at all like our poetry. Hebrew poetry rhymes ideas. It doesn't rhyme sounds. So we have to have tiger, tiger burning bright in the forest of the night. The Psalms don't read like that because they're not rhyming that kind of, you know, um, structure. But they pick up on ideas. Um, So, Lord, I long for you. My heart thirsts like a deer in the desert. And what's rhyming is the longing, the thirsting of the deer. Yeah, right, Okay. Now, they're different lengths, but the first thing to notice, oh, I should add this, by the way, they don't always follow the same form. They're a bit like jazz. Sorry about another musical metaphor, but there's variation. That's what makes them interesting. So there are a couple of key ideas that you tend to find most of the time but not always. And the first one that's really important for us, I think, is they're always addressed to someone and they're addressed to Yahweh, and that's critical. And it's, you want to talk to him because he can do something about this. Mm. So they're not just blues tunes that are launched into the ether. You're actually talking to Yahweh, and that's critical. We'll come back to that in just a moment, Uh, except to note that Israel can do that because they have a history with him. Mm. And in some ways that's what makes Israel's lament psalms or songs different from all the surrounding cultures, where they don't have that kind of extended, deep personal relationship with their God. So I think then for Pentecostals, where this kind of speaks to us, this first point is we're all about relationship Mm -hmm. and it's relationship that's the whole basis of lament. It's because you've got that relationship, you can actually talk to someone about this. So for them, it's actually honouring God to talk to him about this, right? We'll come back to that in just a bit. So address to Yahweh, that's critical. Israel's unique God, the creator of all things and redeemer. And, of course, the next thing you talk about is, well, you know, I'm missing my chocolate cookies okay? <laughs> yes, uh, <I> <laughs> or whatever it might be. And, um, and there are some standard forms to that, like my enemies surround me, you know, the dogs are snarling at me. And it's a bit like blues tunes where, you know, my baby left me, the tax man's come, my car broke down. There are kind of standard ways of expressing your distress, but also particular ones coming out of a particular situations. So you do that first of all. And the thing about this is they're very real. No one's trying to pretend. Mm. And we can pick, on that, pick up on that a bit later, I think. But to me, um, one's ability to lament in the biblical sense, I think, is a profound reflection on whether we do in fact trust God and how much honesty we have before him. Mm. And I don't want to use that in a negative sense to attack people. What I want to say to folks, don't see lament as a lack of faith. Biblically, in fact, it is a statement of faith Mm. and it's a statement of real relationship. If you can't talk to God about your trouble, who can you talk to, right? So it's a mark of genuine friendship and relationship and you would know in Israel's scriptures that righteousness is basically relational. Abraham trusted God and God said, that's righteousness. So it's not transaction, Mm. it's relational. Is that okay? So those first two things, talk to Yahweh, then you describe the problem and they're very real about it. No pretense. Mm. Uh, Then there's a clear statement of trust. And that's um, that, I think, is for the Hebrew psalm writers, but also for us, you just need to articulate, Lord, I trust you. You've got to put that into words. You believe in the heart, you confess with the mouth. Just speak it out, I trust you. A clear statement like that. Uh, And then coming out of that statement, and notice the trust comes first usually. Out of that comes a cry for deliverance. That's where you tend to find the language, save, Lord, deliver. And, again, it's just encapsulating, it's because I trust you, O Lord, that I can actually ask for deliverance. I'm not talking to a stone idol. I'm not asking my bank. I'm not asking I can talk to you because of who you are. Mm. So that's the third and fourth thing, clear statement of trust, then a cry for deliverance, and then assurance And that's more of a confession. And that's not like a confession of sin, like an altar call, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sin, I'll go forward. This is more of a a clear articulation, a public statement. So the distinction between the statement of trust and assurance is the trust tends to talk about the past. So, Lord, you've acted in the past. It's a wonderful reminder. You brought us out of Egypt. I remember when you saved me you've answered my prayers in other situations, that's the trust side of it, then the assurance comes and because of this past faithfulness and because of your power, because you've created the Redeemer, then I have assurance of the future. Can you see that? So Mm -hmm. trust tends to be more about the past and then the assurance has more to do with the future and then out of that comes praise. And interestingly, the praise is not for typically the specific deliverance you've asked for. Right, so, Lord, um, it's not a praise. Thank you for those cookies that are coming. <laughs> the praise is more in terms of you are the creator. There is no one like you. You are merciful. We don't deserve this. We're not coming to you because we deserve it. We're coming to you because of who you are and you show mercy even to those who don't deserve it. So, you know. What's interesting about that is the praise is based on God's character not on the thing that's coming. And I think that's what makes lament so powerful because it's predicated on who Yahweh
0: is. Mm. Uh, gorgeous.
2: Okay? Mm. So that's essentially, I don't know if you can remember all of that, but those six no, elements, right. who you address it to, right, those kinds of things.
0: That's really illuminating because it, it just goes to show that lament is so much more than just, I've got a complaint.
1: I just need to get it out. Mm. Mm. Yeah, It can I, be powerful praises mm.
2: actually. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm reflecting on a lot of what you said, Rick, and I, I think I'm realizing in myself that I actually do lament quite often, but maybe I don't name it for what it is. But even growing up in maybe a more charismatic tradition, I, I feel like the tendency is to jump straight towards um, the later parts of that process of lament without bearing witness to the reality I find myself in and my, my honest feelings. And so I know, you know, growing up in church, often we would jump straight towards the, the nice bubbly bit Mm. at the end without necessarily dealing with the reality, um, that we find ourselves in. I wonder if you could just speak into a little bit as to maybe why that is.
2: Well, you know, every situation of course is going to be different. And, uh, just a bit of an illustration. When I'd come back from studying in the US back in the 80s, someone asked me if I'd write an article on the church in America. And I didn't say it to them, but I thought um, the only reason you could possibly ask that question is because you have no idea, which is why you're asking. Hmm. But there is no single, the church in America. The US is almost like 14 different countries. (laughs) And they don't follow state borders either. So just having had that experience, I'm very careful about talking about the Americans and I'm very careful about talking about the church. Mm. There are more people in the church in the United States. This is an incredibly diverse body of people, Mm. all kinds of different expressions. So um, when I want to give, when I begin now to give some idea of why I think this might happen, you need to know that's profoundly limited by Mm. my personal experience and you want to take it with that very large grain of salt consequently. Um, so, in, I think in terms of my reflection on our Pentecostal origins, um, in some ways we're a movement that came out of a time when people thought God wasn't doing much. We were primarily a missionary movement. Right? And so, I don't know if you know that, but a lot of the early tongue speakers came out of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And what they're asking for was God would give them the gift of Mandarin before they went to China.
0: Oh,
1: wow.
2: Hmm. Very motivated by mission. And, of course, you had in that revival movements in the US where, you know, the God's spirit would be present. And that's over against other churches that, from our perspective, and I really want to emphasise that, from our perspective, we thought God wasn't doing much. Mm. And I think with that kind of perspective, you could see why there'd be a bit of a a reticence to talk about things that weren't going well. Mm. And then add to that that the spirit is about power, and that's true. Whenever the spirit turns up in scripture, things happen. The recovery of praying for people for healing in a way that maybe folks hadn't. So I think for all of those kinds of reasons, whether we're really aware of it or not, and I'm really working hard at this because I don't want this to be condemnation.
1: Mm, yeah. am
2: not trying to point the finger at anyone. No, that doesn't <laughs> really help. I think it's just helping, helping us to understand where we've come from. Mm. And so for some of us, we might even sense that it would be a lack of faith to talk to God about these things. And so what I want to say to people is it's actually not. Mm. The fact that you can talk to God about these things is a great statement of faith. And Mm. uh, you can talk about how right now my situation really does stink and it's awful and it's painful, but the reason I can be so blunt and honest about that is because the God I'm talking to is the one who can really change things and holding those two things together. So I think that's maybe one of the reasons why we, we don't talk about it. Um, and I think perhaps two uh, Two other quick things I'll say. One has to do with, in the Pentecostal movement, you do have this idea of um, the f- declaration of faith and a statement that's not, that is seen as unbelief. Mm. Uh, I kind of understand where that's coming from, but I think if we're not careful, it can lead to profound dishonesty—a culture of dishonesty. Not that people are being intentional mm. about that, but you know, we, okay, we just want to make sure we're people of faith. But then you end up not being able to tell the truth about every situation you're in.
1: Mm.
2: And uh, this is going to sound like a very broad statement here, but I do think, as a Pentecostal in our movement, I think sometimes we have a very—it's difficult for us to tell each other the truth. I would say, based on my experience. Mm. And I've been wrestling with that over the last few years. And I think part of that has to do with everything's got to be great. You've got to start with awesome and work up. Mm. And I just think, I don't think that's biblical. And I know we want to be biblical. So let's let that go.
1: Mm.
2: And then maybe the second point there would be, well, doesn't Jesus make a real difference? Isn't the gospel meant to change things? And for that reason, I think, well, that means everything must be great. All of my prayers have to be answered. But as uh, our local pastor said recently in Romans 8, right, um, he talks about God working through all things. And the point is Christians don't get um, yeah. a get-out-of-suffering-free card <laughs> yeah. like a Christian monopoly. Yeah. But we actually do go through all things. Mm-hmm. We don't get a pass on any of that. And as Paul talks about what that means, what God's working in all things is not that all of my investments are going to keep going up. Mm-hmm. is not that I'll never be in a difficult financial situation. It's not that I might never be healed. What comes out of it is what God does is form Christ in us. That's the great glory that he's doing. And mm-hmm. I think that's the difference Jesus makes. There's a much greater emphasis on God forming Christ in us, our hope of glory. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'd, I'd want to reframe maybe Christian laments along that line of what's actually happening in all of this that God will bring us through but the focus is not necessarily on me as Joe getting all my flocks back. Yeah. The focus is on actually God being formed in me, in, in Christ. And that's our hope of glory. Sorry.
0: I suppose what you're saying is that lament does require vulnerability and honesty. And this, the, the thought that I have might not be solely limited to the times that we live in now. But in modern times, we certainly like things to be efficient and elegant and uh, with a certain amount of scale in modern churches comes um, uh, organization and we like things to be a certain way to roll out um, in an orderly fashion and maybe we don't have the appetite to be dealing with the lament broadly i mean maybe we do maybe we don't i'm not sure i mean i if i can think about um the the number of services that i've been in that are um very uplifting and but they're all uplifting and if everything's uplifting is it uplifting you know
2: and yeah and again you know i think you're absolutely right and it's important to notice i think there's only one lament psalm that doesn't finish on a high note of praise just the one and we could maybe talk about why that might be. But the vast majority are all to do with a reaffirmation of God's character. Mm. And he's the one in whom our trust should be. And, I, you know, if I had questions about worship sometimes and I don't want to get involved in the worship wars, <laughs> um, I don't want to get, you know, I just... Uh, I was talking to a group of people recently in a different setting and some comments have been made and I, I couldn't really... I maybe should have restrained myself. But I said to the guys, you know, you've got to stop bashing the church. First of all, we're part of it. Jesus loves it. It's not perfect. It was never promised to be. Mm. But if that becomes our focus, we're not going to actually come into life. So I just want to frame everything I'm saying is I'm not after anybody here. Yeah. I'm not yeah. gunning for anyone. Um, I think I'm interested more in so what can we do better? And I think one of the things we can do better is just keep remember our faith is in Jesus. And he's the one who's conquered death. Right? God was present in him. And so that uplifting bit is really, really important. It really is. Mm. I think I want to say to people, talking about how bad things can be now does not counteract that. Yeah. Especially if it's done in the light of the very reason I can talk to you about this, Lord. The very reason I can be vulnerable is because it's not about my strength. It's about you. Mm-hmm. It's not about my ability to find my way through this. It's about you and your faithfulness and your love and your compassion. And that too can be incredibly uplifting. And especially for people who live with this compartmentalized existence where I can never talk about the bad stuff in my life. In my experience, when people have learned they can do that, it's just been transformative for them because it's not opposed to being uplifting. Mm. In fact, it can mm. actually make that uplifting even more genuine and authentic. Mm-hmm. And it won't just stay in the worship service. I think once you get out of that environment, if you can live a life over the coffee table, you can say to your, you know, your friends, actually, things are pretty crappy at the moment. Yeah. You've seen it on this podcast. Actually.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but it's okay, right? I mean, I'm, I still feel miserable. I've gone through a tough time. Da-da-da-da-da, but there's hope. Mm. And, and maybe a little comment about that. Hope in the first century was for fools and people who weren't, you know, wise and hadn't planned, and it always failed. That's not the biblical view of hope. Hope in the Bible is so strong because it's grounded in Yahweh Mm. and for Christians in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. So we have a sure and certain hope, which is really different from anything in the first century, Mm. where it always failed you. Does that help a little
1: bit? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I guess I was wondering, Rick, a little bit just then practically, um, you know, we grow up and often we learn things like the acts way of praying, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Um, You know, the way you're talking about lament being highly relational, um, is this something that should be a part of our regular conversation with God? Um, Or is it in moments of crisis, I lament? um, or is it, would this be a valuable part of everyday relationship in, in bearing honest truth before him? Well, I, I think I'd, um,
2: it's a great question. And I think I'd say to people, um, how many people do I know whose lives are all great? <laughs> I mean, it just, it's not life, right? And that's what I love about the biblical material, right? It doesn't, it doesn't pull any punches on that. And, um, I spent a lot of time reading 2 Corinthians over the last few years, just going over it and over it. And, you know, and in their world, um, the great leaders are the ones who are walled about, never go through suffering. They're the pinnacle. They represent all of this. And that's what everyone's looking for. And Paul turns up, and in 2 Corinthians, he begins with his sufferings. No one's going to start there, right? Mm. He talks about despairing even of life. No one's going to admit that in antiquity. Like, What? He meant to be the buffed up, you know, fully armed. Da 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 da, da all. And it's just not true. The Gospels had that incredible story of Jesus in Gethsemane. That's it staggers me every time you look at that. I mean, he's one who can tell the sea what mm. to do, and in that context, sweating like drops of blood, this deep, deep psychological crisis. Even if they wouldn't have used that word, mm. and the Scriptures don't have any problem putting those two together. So I I think one of the reasons people lose confidence in the scriptures is because we're not as real as those scriptures are. I think it's going to make us a lot more healthy if we just say, you know what, for some people, life right now is terrible. Mm. Grandmum's dying of cancer and the prognosis is not good and I just went to the doctor. I thought everything was great and in 30 seconds in that Mm. 30-minute meeting, my life was turned upside down. Lots of people like that in the community of God's people. We go through all things. The difference is we have one who holds all things in his hands. So I I think lament ought to be part of what we do, just because that's everyone's life. I don't think there'd be a single Sunday when in the church there wouldn't be someone who's got something to lament over. Mm. So it should be there, I think, personally.
0: I wonder how. What are some ways, like, I'm, I'm, I am I'm suppose I'm not asking you, Rick, I'm just um, posing the question, how would how would that look uh, in the context of a an hour and a half church service? You know, like, uh, do we, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to kind of start looking at that rather than just programming the 15, 20 minutes of singing and then some housekeeping and then maybe a prayer and then maybe a message and maybe an altar call and maybe another prayer and then an hour. I after-
2: want to put a blues tune. I mean, okay, I know you've got to have formal service, right, and, um, I get that, and in a smaller group, things are more dynamic. If you've got a larger group, you just you've got to be careful, and mm. and you know again that, that's more complex. And but with any any given structure, um, why can't we have a couple of blues tunes, mm. and where people actually say, "Look, we understand. Not everyone today is in a great place. We're going to talk about that. Here's a chance for you to talk to God about the the, the great place you are not in." Mm and how bad it is, and we're going to bring that right before him with all honesty and integrity. And why do we do this? Because we know he's committed to bringing us through. Mm. And so let's just do that now. And you know what, folks, if that's not you right now, it's okay. Weep with those who weep. Mm. Just show that sense of communal solidarity. I
1: find it encouraging part of what it seems like lament in a biblical framework is the recognition that we haven't been promised that, everything's onwards and upwards and the best is yet to come and all of those things. It's not that that's not true, but we're more than anything being promised that he's going to be present with us in whatever may come our way, uh, be up or down.
2: I just, I mean, you look at the trajectory of the lives of people in scripture and, you know, and life just seems to get messier as they go Mm on. And, you know, Paul, I mean, he dies in this, ends up in this stinking Roman prison. Oh, I love second Timothy, right? He's just, He's invested all this time in these churches in the East, Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. They don't want to know him. Sure. He's poor out his life. They don't want to know him, right? And even at this trial, everyone abandons him except for one or two. And, uh, you know, it's not guaranteed it's going to work out in this life. God's never promised that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as Gordon Fee used to say, you know, 2,000 years later, people call their sons and daughters Paul and Pauline, and their mm-hmm. dogs they call Nero. Who won?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well.
2: Right? And, it, and Paul got that. It's bigger than his life, right? Where he is, it looks like it's falling apart, and he says to Timothy, one guy you can talk to. You, th- you think that's all you've got after a life of ministry? But God has a bigger perspective. There's yeah. 2,000 years to play out at least yet.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Right? And now more people own Jesus than any other figure in the world, right? And, you
1: know,
2: um, I think what I love about this is I can talk about who I am, but the thing that makes a lament work is to realise it's bigger than who I am. My life does not have to be where everything all, there's a bigger thing that's happening here, and I know I'm guaranteed a resurrection at the end. God's committed to that. Mm. I can't explain why you're not healed of cancer, and I'm not going to give any easy answers like you don't have enough faith. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just I find those kinds of answers pardon me, near' blasphemous mm. strong language, but it just you know, we're not given that everything's going to work out for us. We do know though there will be a day when everything will be restored and, and that's what we celebrate and it may be in this life God does actually intervene mm. and things are restored and I'm healed right? um, but may not too you know? mm.
1: That's great I think'm I'm, I'm feeling um, very encouraged and, and almost inspired to make lament a part of my regular interactions with God. And I think even just that idea of honesty, you know, like is in the same way you would in a, in a rich, healthy human relationship, you want to maintain that same kind of level of relationship with God. And, um, I'm sure many of our listeners will also be blessed by your wisdom and your insights, Rick. I wonder if, um, Just to close out our time, if you could pray for us. Um, For many of us, this is a whole new practice or a whole new idea. And so I wonder if you could just pray for God's, um, you know, um, inspiration in in us approaching this topic.
2: Well, um, Lord, we do thank you that we can actually address you. That's an extraordinary gift. And Paul says we can boldly approach the throne of grace an idea almost unheard of. No one would approach a throne because there's terrible risk involved, but because of your deep love for us and the love that you embodied, um, the God who's willing to die naked on the cross for us, he's not about to play fast and loose with our lives. So, Lord, we thank you that we can come to you. Uh, We we pray for all of us, Lord, Um, some of us struggling, greater degrees, others less, but... Folks who listen to this podcast, there might be some folks who are in fact facing terminal cancer. Uh, maybe they're facing losing their job and they've got a large mortgage. Um, this I just heard from a friend, he's facing the end of his marriage and just how tough all of that is. And, Lord, and all of this you know and you know exactly what we're feeling. And it's, just, it's such a gift to know that even though we might not be able to see a way through this, that we can trust you, we can trust the God who laid down his life for us. And so we want to bring all of that to you. And, and Lord, all of this in the end, is, it's not so much about us. We want to become authentic people. We want to know life. But actually that never happens independently of you. So Father, we pray that all of this will take up and reorient towards you and you are seen no more clearly than in Jesus. And so we just bring this back to you, Lord. Uh, you are the Lord of all life. And you're the one who can give us this basis for a sure and certain hope of the life of the world to come. So Father, work through us, we pray, um, in all things that Christ might be formed in us because him in us is our great hope of glory and that glory is that wonderful world of the life world of the life to come um, where we'll know you face to face and be in your presence. so bless us we pray and uh, Lord, I just pray for all the folks who have been listening. I pray you protect them from any nonsense that I've spoken and the good stuff, I pray that that will take root in their lives and give rise to a rich rich harvest of righteousness in Jesus' strong name who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. So Ryan, what do you make of that? Lament, hey? Yeah, I'm um yeah, I, f- I found that really encouraging, weirdly enough, talking about Lament. Um there's there's so many things that are that are bouncing around in in my mind. Um I think one of the things that stood out to me was even how Rick was just encouraging us to allow the scriptures to almost um remind us of what it looks like to be honest. Mm. Like the people that we look to as heroes of the faith talked in a certain way, um, yet I talk in such a different way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that just that idea of honesty and vulnerability um, is really encouraging and and challenging because I, I think to myself in, in the depth of relationship like Rick was talking about where you can have... Moments of honesty and transparency and and bear the truth that you're feeling like i I've been challenged by the way I approach God um, you know like am i am I being honest before mm. him all the time or do I kind of just suppress that frustration yeah. or that that lament um, before him? Yeah
0: yeah I think for me, the notion that it's it's a lot more than just a complaint. My Mm. tendency is to understand it. I Mm. have understood it that way. Mm. I have this gripe. Ah, put it out there. Yeah. And there is a degree of catharsis through I'm having a bad time or I'm struggling with this or this is not great for me. There is a degree of catharsis in this, in that, but it's not really um, complete or it's not all there is. That through the, through your complaint, through bringing, through relationship, through bringing your complaint to God, through um, I suppose going through the process holistically, mm. there is there's a pathway to hope and assurance rather mm. than just uh, this sucks. yeah, And that's all there is. And so that's a challenge for me because I'm, that's about as far as it has gone historically for me. This mm. is not great and oh well.
1: Yeah, and I find that interesting. Even just that language you use there—that the pathway, like lament, is almost like this pathway that we walk through, that um, enables our thanksgiving and our praise, which is many of the other psalms um, have more value and, and meaning. Kind of like you were saying, if if everything's just um, at at top level and it's always there, well, is anything, mm. you know? And and I think it's the the honesty and the the truth in lament is what gives greater meaning to the praise and to the thanksgiving. Um, And I think I'm still kind of wrestling through what that looks like for me to actually boldly embrace the path of lament, um, even if it is uncomfortable in of itself. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. We're aware that our conversation today has only scratched the surface of lament. So we wanted to put together some show notes for you. Now, you can find them. There's a couple of articles, a couple of helpful books. You can find them by clicking on the show details section of your favorite podcasting app. Now, as we always do, we want to invite you to subscribe, to review us, uh, give us a five-star review, and, of course, share this podcast with someone that you think it might be helpful for. Send it through to a
0: friend. If you'd like to contact us directly, you can email us at podcast at riverviewchurch.com and we're on social media, you can get in touch on Facebook and Instagram our handle is at Riverview Online and we also live stream our Sunday services at 10am Australian Western Standard Time, that's UTC plus 8 if you're not in Australia and that'll be available on Facebook and YouTube. And the stream is also available for 48 hours afterwards as well. Our music today is by the super talented Andrew Worong. Until next time, keep having conversations.